This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. Thanks for joining me this Wednesday. We'll begin our hour of old-time radio crime with yours truly, Johnny Dollar, this week. We'll hear the Royal Street Matter from November 25th, 1956. After that, it's crime classics and the shockingly peaceful passing of Thomas Edwin Bartlett Greengrocer. Another absurdly long title from Crime Classics that aired June 22nd, 1953. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Why, man? How's your stomach, Johnny? What? Rich food give you any trouble? Who is this? Boy, your old buddy, Angie Orsani. Oh, hi, Angie. Glad you got my message. Yeah. How about dinner tonight at Antoine's, Johnny? Shrimp gumbo, oysters, Rockefeller. Yeah, sounds fine. Only I've got to do some work first. Man, I thought you was here in New Orleans on vacation. Nope. Little matter of fire insurance and the company's check for 16000 Somebody trying to cheat him out of it, huh? You won't believe this, Angie. Somebody turned it down. What? Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of a man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Providential Fire and Marine, 787 Greenleaf Avenue, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Royal Street matter. Expense account item one, $103.82, transportation to New Orleans. Item two, $4.20, cab from the airport to the Roosevelt Hotel. After unpacking, I put in the call to my old friend Angie Orsati. Nobody knows the French Quarter or the people living there like Angie does. For three months of the winter, he stays in the swamp, trapping muskrats. The rest of the year, he lives with his mother near the Cabildo. Angie wasn't in, but his mother said she knew where to reach him, and five minutes later, he returned my call. We arranged to meet for dinner, then I phoned the agent who had sold the policy in question. His name's Benford, and naturally, he was anxious to see me. C.D. Benford's office is on the third floor of the Hibernia Bank building. He's a stocky, red-faced man, probably in his late 50s. Come in, Mr. Dollar. Come in, come in. Thanks. Help yourself to the chair. Say, hey, you fellas sure don't waste any time, do you? We try not to, Mr. Benford. C.D., boy. What? You call me C.D. like all the other folks do. Oh, okay, C.D. Yeah. Now, like I was saying, you boys sure don't waste any time at all. Why, I didn't even call the home office till the day before yesterday. I know. When was the fire? Last week on Thursday night. What'd they tell you about it? Oh, not very much. Figured I'd get all the information from you. Well, it's a doozy. First time I've ever run across a policyholder who wasn't yelling for us to pay him yesterday for his loss today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, who is the insured, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, C.D.? man named Dupas, Henry Dupas. Took out a policy for 48000 That's full coverage on his antique shop down on Royal Street. How long ago? August, just three months back. I've been after him for, oh, maybe five, six months to buy some protection, but he kept saying didn't have the money. Didn't have the money. And one day I dropped in to see him about his car insurance, and right off he told me to write a policy giving him full fire coverage on the shop. Well, how do you arrange to pay it? Cash, in full, the day I delivered the policy. He tell you why he changed his mind? Yeah, not exactly. Bet he mentioned something about times being better. <laughs> I reckon there must have been. Why'd he say that? Well, a few days later, he had the back part of his shop all painted and fixed up. And that's the part that burned. And he hired himself a girl to work in the office. A real good looker, too. Well, what caused the fire, you know? I sure do. Antique kerosene lamp got knocked over accidental. According to what Dupont told the fireman, he was in the back of the shop with a customer showing him the lamp. Uh-huh. When it fell, the fire started. The two of them tried to put it out. Reckon that's why they didn't call the fire department right off. Uh-huh. And did Dupont tell you the same thing? Dupont? He didn't tell me nothing. Well, he reported the fire to you, didn't he? He did not. And that's what's got me so riled up. I wouldn't know about it now if I hadn't dropped in there the other day. 
Was Dupar there when you stopped in? Yes, sirree. And when I saw the place look, the whole back of the store gutted out and the slew of his antiques destroyed, I let him have both barrels, I tell you. Oh, what'd he say to that? Well, nothing too much. Just acted like he wasn't interested in whether we paid for it or not. Didn't even ask for a claim for him. Hmm. That's funny. Sure is. I thought maybe he was so upset over losing some of his valuable antiques, he didn't know what he was doing. Mm. So, after I checked with the fire department, got a copy of their report, I typed up a claim for him. You figured the damage at 16000 right? Mm-hmm. I uh, knew how much he spent fixing up the back. When I'd issued the policy, I'd gotten an estimate on most of the antiques. So what happened when you gave him the claim? He signed it? He did not. Said to forget about the fire. Huh? And when I kept after him, he called me a busybody and told me to get out of his shop and stay out. What do you think, C.D.? You have any idea why he didn't report it or sign that claim? If I had, boy, I wouldn't have sent for you. I left Binford's office and walked over to Canal Street. The sun had gone down and a cool breeze was coming in off the river, bringing with it the smell of coffee beans and fruit from the banana boats. I crossed Canal and turned onto Royal, heading into the French Quarter. When I reached Henry Dupas' antique shop, I stopped. There are a lot of antique shops on Royal. All of them look pretty much the same. The buildings as old as the fine rosewood mahogany pieces they shelter. There was nothing different about this one, at least from the outside. The fire had started and finished in the rear of the building. I tried the front door, but it was locked. I didn't think anyone would be there that late, but I knocked anyway. Mr. Dupas? Who is it? My name's Dollar, Mr. Dupas. I represent the Providential Fire Marine. Why do you people persist in annoying me? Well, we wouldn't if you'd tell us about the fire There's you There's nothing here. special about that fire, Mr. Dollar. It was an accident. Well, then why didn't you file a claim? You're entitled to enough money to cover your Mr. loss. Mr. Benford explained that to me quite carefully. If you haven't talked to him, Mr. Dollar, you should. Oh, I've talked to him. Well, then go away. Well, not until you answer a few no, questions. No, leave me alone, please. I'd noticed an alley next to the shop that ended where the rear door had been. I started back along it, not quite sure what I was looking for or what I expected to find. But I was sure of one thing. Dupa was a frightened man. It was too dark to see anything at the end of the alley, so I returned to the street. Item three, $30.50, phone call, taxi, and dinner for two at Antoine. Oh, man. Kind of nice, ain't it, Johnny? Hmm? Oh, the way it never changes. Same waiter, same chef, same clientele. Yeah. Like another Cafe Royale, has she? No, no, thanks. Well, Johnny? Yeah? Well, when are you going to ask me? Ask you what? Oh, don't kid me. John, you've had that old bloodhound look in your eye ever since we sat down. What's the question? <laughs> okay, Angie. What do you know about a man named Henry Dupas? Dupas antique shop? That's right. Oh, not much. Seen him around some, so. Yeah, where? Oh, you, you know what kind of places I like, Johnny. Yeah, but I can't picture Dupas liking them. Well, maybe he don't, but maybe that little old blonde he's been carrying with him does. Blonde? Yeah, you know, female, girl, bleached hair. I know, I know. Yeah. How old? Oh, 24, 5. Yeah, real nice for old coot like him. Real winter and spring, huh? Yeah. You seen them together often? Oh, a few times. Saw him about two weeks ago at Butcher's place. Hey, you know something? I walked in there that night with a five, and I walked out with 200. <laughs> How about that? Great. You know who the blonde is? No, but I might be able to find out. You want? Yeah, I want. I left Angie and started back toward Royal Street. On the way, I ran up item four, $1.85 for one flashlight and batteries. The shades on Dupas' shop were drawn, but I could tell there were lights on inside. In the alley, a small pickup truck was parked near the side entrance to the shop. In the back of the truck, looking like they'd just been taken off the boat, were several stalks of bananas. There wasn't much else to see except the charred wood and refuse left in the alley after the fire. I started back toward the street when a man, a much larger man than Dupas, came out the side door and got into the truck. 
He turned over the engine and switched on the lights before I could get clear. Hey, what are you doing there? Hold it, mister, right there. Hey, buddy, you just hold it. What were you doing back there, huh? Well, right now, mister, I'm wondering what this load of bananas is doing in an antique shop. What is it, Carl? Well, I just caught this guy snooping around in the back. It's Mr. Dull. Yeah, that's right. You you know him, Depa? He's one of those insurance men I told you about. Oh, well, what are you here for, Dollar? Didn't Depa tell you he doesn't want any money from you people? Now, why not? Because he's afraid we might have to take a good look around before paying no, off? No, son. Now, now, is... now, look, Dollar. Mr. Dupa has been okay with you people, so you got no reason to come snooping around. Especially after he's told you he don't want you around. So now maybe Mr. Dupar will have to do something to keep you away. Ain't that right, Mr. Dupar? You know what I mean. Yes. Yes, all right. I'll do it, Carl. And he'll never bother us again. Go on, Dollar. Get out of here. At the time, I had no idea what they meant to do, so it wasn't easy to turn my back on them. But I did. Nothing happened. I went back to my hotel and hit the sack, and I must confess I slept later than usual the next morning. I was still in bed when the phone rang. Johnny Duller. Well, hey now, where's my dynamic northern friend? Oh, he's off today. I'm taking his place. Uh, well, then the news I got, well, I reckon it'll keep till tomorrow. Yeah. Well, so long. No, no, wait, 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 Angie. Did you find out anything about that blonde DePaz has been seeing? Sure. Everybody around the French Market coffee shop used to know her. Uh, used to, meaning up till she went to work for Mr. DuPas. She worked for DuPas? Yeah, in the office at his store. Started in there about three months ago. Well, come on. Well, since then, nobody sees her anymore. At least none of her old gang. You know where she lives? Yep. DuPont Alba Apartments. That is, unless she has moved. Well, what's her name? Rose Allen. What? Yeah, she used to be a dancer. That enough for you to go on? Yeah, Angie, thanks. That's plenty. Expense account item five, $1.40 cab fare from my hotel to the Pontalba Apartments. The list of names on the register near the manager's office told me Rose Ellen's apartment was number 215. But when I got up there, the girl who opened the door wasn't a blonde. Oh, I'm looking for Miss Rose Ellen. She isn't in. Oh, she at work? Who are you? I mean, are you a friend of hers? My name's Dollar, Johnny Dollar. I'm an insurance investigator. Invest? Well, she hasn't done anything, has she? <laughs> well, not that I know of. Uh, look, Miss... Um... Garbo. Garbo? May Garbo. Uh -huh. You're a dancer, aren't you? How'd you guess? Oh, I'm good at recognizing talent. Oh? Would you like to come in? I've got some coffee on. Well, that'll be just fine. Say, you've certainly got a nice view of the square from here. I suppose. Don't you think so? Oh, sure, if you like that sort of thing. Me, I just think the square's kind of square. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's very good. I brought it up the day we moved here. You and Rose move in here together? Uh-huh. Oh, sit down, Johnny. Make yourself at home. Well, thanks. Gee, you're so polite. You wait to be asked. Yeah. Look, tell me, what time do you think Rose will be home? Oh, I couldn't say. Uh, May, this is important. What time does she usually get home? Well, I don't know. I mean, after all, she's got her own life to live, you know. And I'm not her keeper. Okay, okay. Sometimes she doesn't get home for days. Oh, I better get the coffee. She ever say anything to you about the fire? Huh? What fire? The fire down at the antique shop. No, you want cream and sugar? No, thanks, just black. Good. When was that? The fire? Last Thursday night. That's funny. What's funny? That was the last time I saw her. What? Yeah. Rose went to work last Thursday. But she never came home. Act 
Act Two of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. You don't have to be a special investigator to know that Americans don't take their civic responsibilities lightly. The Election Day turnout proved that beyond any shadow of doubt. So now it's time for you to face up to another responsibility to the nation in just as straightforward a way. Our Ground Observer Corps needs volunteers. We at CBS Radio urge you to write or telephone your nearest civil defense center to learn how you can help in this vast program that patrols our skies. Now, Act Two of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar and the Royal Street Matters. This was the screwiest deal I'd ever seen. A guy refusing insurance money he was entitled to. Rose Allen was my one lead, so I continued questioning May, her roommate. May told me this was the first time Rose had been away so long without at least sending for a change of clothes. I asked about Rose's boyfriends. She told me Rose had been going with one other man beside Dupas, but she didn't know who he was. After May promised to call me if she heard from Rose Allen, I left. Expense account item six, $1.90, taxi from the Pontalba Apartments to the Hibernia Bank Building. My insurance contact, Benford, wasn't in. So while I waited for him, I wondered again why DuPont refused to sign the claim for the fire damage to his shop. Could he afford a loss of $16,000? I wondered if something had happened in that shop, something DuPont tried to cover up with a fire. I was wondering what it could have been when Benford walked in. Well, I'm glad you're here, Johnny. We got trouble. Huh? I hear you paid DuPont a call last night. That where you've been? Yeah. He phoned me about ten, wanted me there fast. Oh, boy. I wish I had sense enough to stay away. Well, what happened, C.D.? Before I tell you that, you tell me what he said to you last night. Nothing important, just something about fixing it so I couldn't bother him again? Oh, well, he did. How? He canceled his fire insurance policy and every other policy ever bought from him. Canceled? Yeah. So you might as well go on back to your hotel and pack, Johnny. It's none of your affair now, no matter what he's up to. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's too bad it had to turn out this way. You want a drink before you go? Yeah, I guess I need one. Yeah. What'll it be? Scotch or rye? Scotch, neat, please. Good. Saves making a mess. When you, uh, reckon you leave? Oh, I don't know. I'll check with the airline when I get back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Thanks. Better luck next time. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's that. Uh, C.D., mm-hmm. what about the policy? Policy? Did he return the policy to you? Uh, no, I said do it tomorrow. But he's covered until he does return it. Does he know that? Why, no. I don't reckon he does. Good, good. He might get careless... And as long as that policy is in force, I can bother him as much as I want. Oh, I don't see what's the use, Johnny. He'll have it here by tomorrow evening. That still gives me 24 hours to get lucky. C.D., you said something about a customer being with him when that kerosene lamp was knocked over. Mm Mm-hmm. According to what he told the fire department, there was. You had that person's name? Well, I should have. I took it in the fire department report. I've got that right here. Uh, Yeah, yeah, here it is. Now, let's see. Mm Mm-hmm. The name's Andrew W. DeLong. Address, 1515 West Claiborne. There wasn't any Andrew DeLong at that address. We checked the telephone book and the city directory, and the only Andrew W. DeLong we found was out in Metri, in a mausoleum. So we drove back towards C.D.'s office. Well, now what, Johnny? Dupont. What? Find out everything we can about Dupont and everybody who works for him. Ain't nobody but his secretary and his assistant. Fellow named Carl. Yeah, how long has Carl been working for him? Oh, about as long as she has. Does this Carl own a fruit stand? A fruit? Well, not I know about. Why? Oh, I just wondered. Hey, what time is it, C.D.? Uh, uh, 2.15. Say, if we're going to check on Dupas' credit, we better get to the bank before the close. You're driving. Let's move. 
Expense account item 7, $22.80. Telephone calls and a couple of gratuities to obtain a lot of information about Dupas. I learned, among other things, that he'd banked almost $11,000 in the past three months. Before that, almost nothing. But there's no law against making money, so I still had nothing concrete to go on. At 5.30, I left Binford, went back to my hotel, and there found a message from May, Rose Allen's roommate, asking me to go to her apartment immediately. So I did. Oh, Johnny. Yeah, hi, May. Oh, come in. Johnny, you know what you made me promise. Yeah? Well, it happened. You mean you've heard from Rose? Well, no, not exactly. But a man called this afternoon and talked about her. Oh, well, I hope he had only nice things to say. Oh, yes. He said she's just fine. What? Didn't you hear me? Yeah, he said she's fine. Fine. Well, what else did he say? Well, he said he was going to come by at 4 o'clock and pick up her clothes. I should have them ready. Oh, but of course he didn't. Well, he did so. He did? Oh, what man? You know him? You get his name? Mr. Dollar. You don't think I'd let Rose's things go out of here with a complete stranger, do you? Of course he told me his name. Well? You aren't nearly as polite as you were this morning. All right, I'm sorry. What's the man's name, darling? Oh, well, that's much better. It's Grant. Grant? That's right. That doesn't register. From the way he talked, he must be the one Rose was going with while she was dating that old antique. You ever see this guy, Grant, before? No, but I'm sure he's the one she talked about. Really, it used to get so tiresome. Carl this and Carl does that. Oh. What? I said, oh. May, tell me, where did he say he was taking her clothes? Well, he didn't say. He just put them in that old truck. Thanks, sweetheart. See you later. I needed a fast car and a driver who could handle it, so I called Angelo Arsati. Twenty minutes later, we parked in front of Dupas antique shop. There was a dim light on inside. Brother, there's really no reason for you to get mixed up in this thing. Are you kidding, sir? Hmm. Looks like Dupai ain't going to answer. All right, let's see what this hunk of stone will do to the glass. Here. Man, that got it. I can reach through to lock. Looks like nobody here. Well. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, I see him. Carl, what happened to you? Dollar. Angie, call an ambulance. Tell him a man's been stabbed here. Yeah, right, Johnny. Dollar. Get to her before he can. Dupont? Gonna kill Rose. You you got to help her. Dupont wants to kill her? Why? She, She found out. Smuggling. Is that what Dupont's been up to? Smuggling in... Banana shipments. Rose found out. Where is she? He thought I'd killed her, but I love her. Yeah, well, look, tell me. You, you gotta get to her before he does. Where is she? Old Spanish fortress. Yeah? Out on Bayou Slidell. Old Spanish fortress on the Bayou Slidell. Yeah. You know where that is, Angie? Oh, sure. No ruin out in the swamps north of town near the highway bridge that goes over to the Gulf Coast. Carl, how long ago did Dupont leave? Ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah, well, we could beat him, Johnny, by cutting across the swamps. That is, if you could take it. What do you mean by that? Well, it's rugged. Like what? Johnny, did you ever ride a swamp buggy? Brother, yeah. how much farther, Angie? Well, should be right up ahead. How can you tell? All I can see is swamp and marsh grass. Yeah, well, I've done a lot of trapping out here. I know the channel. Think we'll make the old ruins before Dupont? Well, we got to, don't we? Hey, there it is. That old wreck is called a fortress? Man, that's it. Well, get us up as close to it as you can. I don't see anybody parked... Nobody approaching the bridge. There we are. Come on, let's go. Uh, hey, hey, look, John. There she is at the side end. Yeah, I see. Rose! Rose Ellen! She's scared. She ducked back inside. Rose! We're friends of Carl's. 
He sent us to help you. Well, come on, Johnny. We can get inside to her through this here doorway. Okay. This place looks like it's about ready to fall apart. Rose! Yeah, man. Dark in here, too. Yeah, don't step on them falling bricks. Okay. Rose! Rose Ellen! DuPont tried to kill him. Oh, no. Rose, come on out here where we can see you. Rose! DuPont, he found out that Carl didn't kill me, is that it? Yeah, but Carl's all right now. Look, Rose, I want you to tell me all you know about the fire at DuPont's shop. Were you there? Yes. Well, what happened? DuPont had me tied up. Told Carl I'd found out what they were doing. Smuggling, I mean. He told Carl to kill me. He didn't know Carl and I was going to be married. Go on, go on. Carl argued with him. That's when the lamp got knocked over. But he didn't stop arguing until DuPont said he'd kill us both. So finally, Carl told DuPont he'd take care of me. Well, he had to or DuPont would have killed us. But instead, Carl brought you here. Yes. Oh, come on, Johnny. Let's get out of this dark Wait a minute, Angie. Rose, do you know why DuPont was afraid to report his fire to the insurance company? Some of the things he smuggled in was lost in the fire. If anybody come poking around, they might have found out what he's doing. What was he smuggling? Do you know? Little tiny boxes filled with white powder, hidden in the bananas. Johnny, narcotics. Yeah, sure. No wonder he banks so much money so fast. I bank much more. Huh? That's how I get rid of you, Dollar. Look, look at that. There he is in the door. Yeah, watch it. Yeah, I ain't fooling, Tyler. He can't see us. No, but what a target he makes in that doorway against the light. No gun, no, Johnny? No, no. We can try one of these bricks. Yeah, man, but if you miss... Dollar! Wish me luck. Yeah. Dollar! Right here to pop! <laughs> Come on. Oh, man, dear. You could qualify for the New York Yankees, Johnny. All right, Japa. On your feet. Let's get out of here. Expense account total, including rental on the swamp buggy, incidentals and transportation back to Hartford, $517.20. Remarks? Well, where he's going, Japa wouldn't have any use for the insurance money anyway. Carl Grant turned state's evidence and clinched the smuggling charges against him. Because of that, Carl may get off easy. I hope so. He and Rose could make a very happy couple. And a remarks, and a report. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Our star will return in just a moment. If we are to remain alert to possible acts of aggression, we need the continuous operation of the Ground Observer Corps. And if the Ground Observer Corps is to remain on the job around the clock, seven days a week, your help is needed. Tomorrow, telephone your nearest Civil Defense Center and volunteer a few hours of your time each week to the Ground Observer Corps. Join our Ground Observer Corps at the Civil Defense Center nearest your home. Now, here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week... Three sets of twins, two men, two girls, and two fires that hit the coast of Florida with the impact of a hurricane. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood. Written by Charles B. Smith, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in tonight's cast were Virginia Gregg, Forrest Lewis, Lou Merrill, Lawrence Dobkin, and Frank Gersel. Musical supervision is by Amerigo Marino and Carl Fortina. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Dan Coverly speaking. Good evening. This is Crime Classic. I am Thomas Hyland. Listen. 
The man you hear breathing is named Thomas Edwin Bartlett. He is in bed and sleeping, breathing deep the night air of Pimlico, England. Mr. Bartlett is a heavy sleeper. A deep breather, too. Rhythmical and serene. An almost lullaby quality for young Mrs. Adelaide Bartlett, his wife, who this night sleeps at the foot of his bed. Rhythmical. Serene. And just at the stroke of midnight, just when a new year has begun, Mr. Bartlett stops breathing. Mr. Bartlett has just died. From having drunk too much chloroform, of all things. His wife wakens, sees it is a new year, and celebrates. Tonight, my report to you on the shockingly peaceful passing of Thomas Edwin Bartlett, Greenbrook. Crime Classics, a new series of true crime stories taken from the records and newspapers of every land from every time. Your host each week, Mr. Thomas Hyland, connoisseur of crime, student of violence, and teller of murders. Now, once again, Thomas Hyland. When you heard Mr. Bartlett die, it was New Year's Eve in the year 1885. Some years before this, one springtime, when Mr. Bartlett was breathing 100% perfect, he had responded to the delicate scent of a young French girl. And the aroma went right to his heart. He was suddenly in love with Adelaide Blanche de la Tremoise, age 16. Adelaide! Adelaide, stop skipping rope. I'm talking to you. You made me miss Zut. You shouldn't say Zut, my dear. It's an immodest expression. Zoot, 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 zoot. I'm sorry I made you miss. I apologize. I accept. And now will you do something for me? Anything. Of this you are sure? Anything, I swear it. Bon, take this rope and tie an end of it to the tree. And hold the other end and turn it. And I will jump. Don't you ever get enough of the sport? Zoot, tie the rope. Very well. Adelaide. Oui? Do you like me? Oh, very much. However, what? you puzzle me. Intrigue you, you mean? I'm glad. Puzzle me? Why you put this time gone to fish and your grocery store this last two weeks when it is not so? You are here every afternoon in my yard when I come home from school. I have permission from your brother. Adelaide. You have finished tying the uh, rope? Yes. You will play. Turn it. Are you hurt? Yeah, I lift you. Oh, yes, yes, help me. I'm so tangled in the rope. <laughs> Adelaide. Oh, you are very nice. Adelaide, listen. I like your beard, a black beard. Barbenois, Barbenois, Oh, Adelaide, my dear, will you marry me? Marry you? Yes. But I am still in school. Marry me, and it will be the same. You still go to school. And you will help me with my lessons. Every night. And you'll play games with me and jump rope with me. I want to. I will turn and you will jump. Now. Now? Now. All right. Uh, Adelaide. Oui? Will you marry me? But of course, Monsieur Darnois. Adelaide. Oui? Turn the rope faster. Edwin Bartlett and Adelaide Blanche de la Tremoise, and the good quality skipping rope 
which latter, it might be mentioned, came from the shelves of Mr. Bartlett's grocery store, and which, coiled neatly, was his first gift to her. It was a springtime romance and an honorable one. They got married. And according to Mr. Bartlett's word, the marriage progressed to each one's satisfaction. Mr. Bartlett continued at the grocery store, and Adelaide was still a student. It is a matter of record that she was a good student in the subjects of geography, history, and botany. But it is also a matter of record that one day she brought home with her a note from her teacher. Dear Mr. Bartlett, here is your wife's last examination paper in algebra. As you see, the grade is 43. Her square roots are especially weak, as are her solving equations with two unknowns. Something must be done, else your spouse will not pass into the next form. Sincerely, Edgar Becker, Esquire. P.S. I will be glad to tutor your spouse after school hours. Then, E.B. Esquire. Adelaide, why are you crying? I am not a good wife. You are wrong, my dear. I am not a good husband. I should have been helping you with your algebra. But you help me so much with my lessons. And you get tired and you go to your room and sleep. Oh, husband. Yes? I do not wish it anymore. I do not wish school. I want your school and Mr. Becker to be proud of you. No. My dear, what's the matter? I do not wish to be a schoolgirl wife, but a woman wife, a mother wife. You're so young. Listen to me. A grade of 43 is nothing to fret over. By my cousin Sybil from Nottingham, received 23 on her... Listen to me. No, child. You listen to me. I've failed you. I've made you ashamed of yourself. And now I'll make amends. How? I will find you a tutor. Oh, not Mr. Becker. Uh, husband. Yes, child. Whatever you say. Trouble in Pimlico. Simply this. The girl wanted to grow up, and her husband wouldn't let her. He told her she'd grow up soon enough, but right now she should play and run and scamper. This period in the married life of Thomas and Adelaide was marked by two events. The first, his presenting her upon her birthday with a game of the mind, domino, hand cards, imported from Persia. The second, a tutor, a veritable whiz in algebra, imported from Bristol. A young man of 21, accomplished in the three R's and other branches of learning. He doted on chemistry, for instance, and one report has it that he was forever indulging himself with practical jokes at the school with chloroform. They say his headmaster constantly fell asleep while admonishing him. His name? George Dyson, Adelaide, your tutor. This is my wife, Adelaide. At your service. Here is your book. Open it to page one. A minus one equals zero. Therefore, A equals 1. Do you understand that? No. Sit by me. I'll teach you. I'll leave you two alone. Now. Mr. Dyson. Yes? You are very young. You are very pretty. You told me. Since the minus quality of one changes to a positive quality as you transpose the integer to the right side of the equation mark, it is obvious then if x minus one equals zero, then x is equal to one. Quite obvious indeed. You are a very good tutor. Did your husband tell you I was to live here? Yes, yes, indeed. If x minus two is equal to zero, what does x equal? Two. I'm proud of you. Examination time came around. 
And Adelaide was at the head of her class. A squared plus B squared is equal to C squared. In the next form, she shown. Algebra was her strongest subject. One day, Mr. Becker was astounded when Adelaide stood right up in class and said, The cube root of A cube minus 3A square B plus 3AB square minus B cube is A minus B. Then came geometry. George was also a whiz at this. More so. George... Stop that. Pay attention to your lessons. George, please. Please what? Please kiss me. First, the theorem. Two triangles are congruent when the two sides and the included angle are coincident. Please kiss me. All right. How do I earn my next kiss? in Pimlico. On to trigonometry and the youth. Wife and tutor caught up in the mysteries of logarithms and sines and cotangents and secants. There were field trips, too, to the garden, because George Dyson Tutor believed in practical application of theory. This particular late afternoon, they were endeavoring to determine the height of the flagpole in the garden, using the length and angle of the shadow cast by the pole as points of reference. It was a fine afternoon in the fall. Ah, it was an afternoon to be young. Kiss me. You always ask me to do that, Adelaide. And you always do kiss me. Now, I suppose your husband should walk out here and see us. Well, he knows about us. You're joking. Or not, he knows. Surely. Oh, do not worry, he's... coming, Dyson. Fine, fine. Fine. Well, cook said dinner will be ready soon. I'll call you when it is. Adelaide. What? Don't you find your husband... He's a bore. But I mean, strange. What happened just now? He's a bore and I despise him. He's your husband. You shouldn't speak like that about him. I'm sorry he's my husband. What would you do if he were? You know. I know. I want you to tell me. The things we talked about. You say, weren't my husband. I want to tell you something about me you didn't know, Adelaide. Oh, please do. I was quite a chemistry student, too. I could teach chemistry if I wanted to. That is very interesting. Chloroform, for instance, is a chemical. Chloroform? I've heard of it. It belongs to the class of neurotic chemicals which act on the brain and produce... Loss of sensation. Can it cause death? You carelessly used, it can cause death. Then it is a poison. Let's stroll in the garden. I want to. Chloroform is a colorless, heavy, and volatile liquid, having a, a peculiar ethereal many things, husbands, autumn roses, cabbages, kings, and chloroform, which is a very deadly poison.
sunset. A quality which some malcontents have attributed to the quality of the dust in the Pimlico air. However, it's well known that the major divertisement among Pimlicans is walking into the local sunset and making plans. So, as not to defy custom, so walked Adelaide and her tutor George. You're very dear to me, Adelaide. Oh, please, I know. But it is not the time to speak of it. We were speaking of other things. I used to have fun with chloroform when I went to school. Is it difficult to obtain? In large quantities, it is. However... However what? It can be obtained. But there's a difficulty. Oh? It has a peculiar odor. It's easily detectable. It's almost impossible to get someone to drink it. Unless someone wanted to drink it. Who would want to? Some people, I suppose. Some. Adelaide. Yes, George. I've noticed something. About your husband. He looks poor. Oh, he suffers. Sometimes at night he comes to my bedroom and tells me how much he suffers. From what? He's bilious. Oh, poor man. He complains of his stomach. I thought that had never seen And nervous depression. At night, sometimes he sits in my room, depressed. His stomach. And the doctors have told him that. Has he tried mercury? Mercury? Much easier to obtain than chloroform. I could stop at the apothecary's after dinner. Do stop. His stomach is much worse after dinner. I'm hungry. Let us to dinner, Adelaide. Oh, give me your arm, dear George. setting the suckling pig on the table when the young folk entered. Mr. Bartlett greeted them with a wave of his fork, and they sat. The dinner was a success, and as usual, Mr. Bartlett exhibited his clean plate for the applause of his wife and her tutor. Over fruit and cheese, George Dyson begged to be excused. I'll be back in a shake, Mr. Bartlett, with a surprise for you. Slice another melon for me, dear Adelaide. And in half an hour, George returned which was good time for the course, the house to the apothecary and back. But George was in a hurry. And when he returned, Adelaide was waiting for him in the great hall. Quickly, come. What's the matter? After dinner, he almost fainted. He managed to get into the library where he's lying down. His stomach? In the middle of a melon slice. Oh, Mr. Bartlett. Mr. Bartlett, here, I have something for you. What? What is it? Uh, here, now. Let me help you sit up. Uh, Adelaide, that wine glass. Yes. I have something for you, Mr. Bartlett. Something that will make you feel better. Uh, what is it? The surprise I promised you. Uh, to make your stomach feel much better. George was very good in chemistry at school. You're a good fellow, George. Drink it. Uh, hot stuff. Uh, yeah, I can't drink anymore. Hello. Uh, I'll leave it here beside you. Sip it when you can. You'll see that when you develop a taste for it, it will be very beneficial. Uh, you're a good fellow. Adelaide, uh, yes. don't worry about me. You have your things to do. Yes, George and I have our lessons. I wouldn't interrupt them for the world. Go, George. Adelaide. We'll look in on you later, Mr. Bartlett. In an hour. Good fellow. Good Good fellow. Mr. Bartlett's stomach quieted after a while, and lying there he had a thought that perhaps it was George's surprise that did it. So he forced himself to sip again of the glass. However, in time Mr. Bartlett did develop a taste for mercury and made it a habit to indulge in a sip after every meal. Somehow, his stomach responded suitably, and his complaints were not nearly so many. Of course, it should be noted that Mr. Bartlett would reel suddenly and fall down at odd times, and then he was constantly bumping into things, and his teeth dropped out. Some of his more observant friends would mutter among themselves about Mr. Bartlett's slightly bluish complexion. One morning, Mr. Bartlett woke up completely beardless, 
And from that day on, he never had to shave. But since generally his stomach felt much better, Mr. Bartlett deemed himself ahead of the game. A philosophy which caused comment. Adelaide, the joke. My husband seems happier. Yes, I've noticed. My stomach has improved. Because he doesn't eat so much. Because he lacks sufficient teeth. Your husband has developed a tolerance for mercury. Yes. Mr. Dyson. Mr. Dyson? You mean George? When will you be finished tutoring me, Mr. Dyson? What do you mean? Tomorrow, I should think, Mr. Dyson. What? Tomorrow is the eve of the new year. My husband has asked me to join him in private celebration in his room. We shall drink to your leaving us. But you, you and I... But there's one last favor you can do for me. I'd do anything. While you're at the apothecary. Apothecary? While you're there. While you're making the purchase of chloroform. Bring me one sachet of lavender, a dozen cinnamon sticks, and a dozen licorice twisties for my husband. Well, then, then you are giving me one more chance, Adelaide. Mr. Dyson, happy is the day when I shall call you Georges again. <sighs> lavender, cinnamon sticks, chloroform, and licorice twisties. Two dozen twisties, Mr. Dyson. Good night. <laughs> It's 11 o'clock, Adelaide. One hour until the new year and our anniversary. Six years. Thomas. Yes, my dear. You remember how you used to come and watch me jump rope? I had a beard then. And I called you Bartois. A drink. Six years, Thomas. We have been married. A drink. I have had enough drink. You, you finish the bottle. I want you to look at me, husband. Very well. Uh, uh, yes. When we were married, I was 16, a child, six years ago. Oh, Adelaide, Adelaide, Adelaide. You see, husband? No longer a child. I drink to you, a woman. Adelaide. What is it? Have you drunk from this bottle? Yes, I think so. It has a pungency to it, doesn't it? Uh, uh, let me say. Essentially, uh, 1871. Must have been a strange vintage. Ah, a decided pungency. An aroma, too. Uh, smell it. Mmm, nice. Good. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Chantilly, 1871, a pungent vintage. According to the record, it has been said that a few moments before the new year was ushered in, Mr. and Mrs. Bartlett were both asleep. He stretched across the width of the bed, she at his feet. And once more, I refer you to Mr. Bartlett asleep. Rhythmically. Serene.
Mr. Bartlett was dead. That didn't do any good. It was another year, but not for Mr. Bartlett. For Mr. Bartlett, a post-mortem examination. For his stomach, evidence of having contained a considerable amount of chloroform. So there was a coroner's inquiry. And there was a verdict of willful murder against Adelaide Bartlett and George Dyson. At the trial, each made a statement protesting their innocence. Yes, it is true that I purchased chloroform at various apothecaries. And it is true that the total amount I purchased thereby was sufficient to cause death. However, I used the chemical merely to clean spots from my clothing. I have many pieces of clothing and believe neatness is next to righteousness. It is true also that I became attached to Mrs. Bassett, but only because she was well-versed in matters mathematical. It was a constant source of joy to me to be able to sit and speak with her of an evening of theorems and theories and postulates and corollaries. I loved my husband. He encouraged me to pursue studies of various kinds and decided to please him. On the night of his death, my husband was in good spirits and drank heavily. He, I must confess, was never more attractive. But he fell asleep, a deep sleep. From this, he never awakened. I never know why. Nor does anyone else know why. The jury debated for two hours and returned a verdict of not guilty. History at this point again becomes obscure. It is not known whether George or Adelaide ever saw each other again, whether they ever again tasted together the dusty fruits of a Pimlico sunset, whether there were any more math lessons or talks of matters chemical. But it may be safe to assume that some of the dust breathed by the Pimlicans on evening walks, some of it has been contributed by George and Adelaide, and Mr. Bartlett. You might be interested in knowing where once stood Mr. Bartlett's grocery store. Now stands an apothecary. This is all the information I have. Thank you. Good night. Thomas Edwin Bartlett, tonight's crime classic, was adapted from the original court reports and newspaper accounts by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. The music was composed and conducted by Bernard Herman, and the program is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Thomas Highland is portrayed on radio by Lou Merrill. Thomas Edwin Bartlett was played by Herb Butterfield, Adelaide by Betty Harford, and George by Terry Kilburn. Bob Lamont speaking. the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. That's Case Closed for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more from Crime Classics, yours truly, Johnny Dollar, past episodes of Case Closed, and thousands of other old-time radio episodes at relicradio.com also find all the other podcasts waiting for you there or shoutcast stream and if you'd like to help support it all you can donate through the website as well or visit donate.relicradio.com your support makes it all happen thanks to those who have helped out thanks for joining me today talk to you again next wednesday with another episode of case closed Mm -hmm.